Welcome to the Bethel Church Austin Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this sermon by a special guest speaker. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com. We got our good friends, and uh, I really mean it. These are these are great friends of ours, uh, Richie and Chelsea Seltzer, and their kids. Um, they're in town, hanging out with us. And I tell you, uh, um, as as the the pastor of this church, I'm telling you, we need what they're carrying. And uh, and I'm praying, and I'm telling them, I'm like, I invite you to bring an upgrade to our environment. We need it, we want it, we invite it, and we're hungry for it. Can I get an amen on that? And, uh, you know, sometimes you hear a good message, and sometimes you're impacted by the anointing and the lifestyle that someone is carrying. So can we just stand and just welcome Richie as he's going to come up and blast us today in Jesus' name. So good. Awesome. Praise God. Anybody happy? Come on, this has got to be the happiest place on planet Earth. When the saints get to come together and we get to celebrate the almost too good to be true news, but it is true. And it is very, very good news. Come on, anybody happy that you were once in darkness, but now you're in light? You were once lost, but now you're found. Come on, I just, I just absolutely am overwhelmed with gratefulness, with thankfulness every time I think about who God is and what he's done. Just the simple gospel is enough to make me happy. I just meditate on it. I think about it. I think about the fact that God is love, 1 John 4. God is love. That God is a spirit, Colossians 1, and that he's invisible, but that his invisible attributes are clearly seen in the person of Jesus Christ. I think about the fact that God, even though he's all-powerful, chose to die on a cross. He said, no one takes my life from me, I give it up freely. And the Bible says, for the joy set before him... That's your redemption, my redemption, your reconciliation to the Father, the Father's joy, the angel's joy over one sinner who repents. Do you realize there's a party that there's joy in heaven? Who likes to bring joy to their Father's face? I don't know about you, but my number one aspiration, my number one goal in life is to bring joy to my Father's face. And I can't think of a greater way to do that than when a lost son and daughter comes home and they realize that they're a child of God. I think about this. I just think about the simple gospel that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that those who believe in him shall not die but have everlasting life. For the son of man did not come to condemn the world but that the world would be saved through him. Think about that for a minute. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. I could get legions of angels to come to my defense, but no man's taken my life up from me. Jesus, help us to know the gospel. Help us 
to meditate on the gospel. Help the gospel to get pressed into us tonight, into our hearts, that our hearts would begin to burn with the gospel. Even as Romans 1 says, for I shall not be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe, for all who believe. Come on, I'm telling you, the purest form of evangelism is a heart that's in love with God. And it overflows. If we love God, we just said that. I love you, God, with all of my heart, all of my mind, all of my soul, all of my strength. I love you with all of my heart. If that is true, then out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth will speak. Then evangelism isn't something that you have to do, it's who you are. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Come on. This might be review some of what I'm going to say today. For some of you, I'm getting ready to share a story that I've shared all over the world and I have already shared here. But during the worship, the Lord spoke to me and I began to think about my son, Gabriel. Lately, my son Gabriel has had like, it seems like an upgrade to boldness. It's like he, everywhere we go, he's preaching the gospel. We go to a restaurant. We just drove from Mechanicsburg to Newport News, Virginia, stayed there for three days, had 4th of July with my family. Then we drove another day to Raleigh, stayed there overnight. Then we drove another day to Fort Mill, South Carolina, stayed there overnight. Now we have four kids in a minivan. Anybody ever traveled on a road trip for longer than six hours with four kids, nine, seven, three, and one? It's supernatural. <laughs> and so we're eating at a lot of restaurants, but every restaurant, my son, when the waitress comes up, he says, do you know that Jesus loves you? And they're like, excuse me, because he doesn't have the loudest voice. They said, do you know that Jesus loves you? He's seven. Oh, thank you so much. That's so sweet. And then he says, no, do you believe it in your heart? <laughs> it's one thing to know it here. It's another thing to believe that Jesus loves you here. Come on, that you're a child of God. As many as received him, he's given the right to become a child of God. And, and he's been preaching the gospel. We were at a stadium. We drove to Charlotte. And um, that's right next to Fort Mills. And we drove to Charlotte because we have a dream to rent the stadium. Um, and do an event called Sealed 2020 there, a, a group of friends and I, and we're going to preach the gospel over three days, do a Billy Graham type stadium event there. And uh, the Sealed 2020 comes from Song of Songs, came from a dream somebody had, and that's why we named it that, but set a seal on my heart. We don't just want to have a bunch of orphans pray a prayer, we want to have a, a kingdom full of sons and daughters that know and that are sealed in the love of God. Come on. And so we were just prayer walking around um, the stadium. I don't know if any of you had heard, but there was 20 stadium events that I knew of that were scheduled for 2020. And then we had COVID-19 and you're not allowed to gather with more than 25 people at one point. And it's kind of hard to do a stadium event. But there were 20 people who heard God, different ministers say, Rent the stadium. It's the year of harvest. And so I'm not giving up on what God said. 
It ain't over yet. 2020 ain't over yet. And let me tell you, I don't believe it's God's will that 2020 would be known as the year of COVID-19. Or the year of racial whatever. But it would be known as the year of harvest. And so we're praying around the stadium and my son is preaching the gospel to everything that moves. I saw a guy that he wasn't ministering to yet, and I go to walk towards him, and my son, literally, that's my wife, cuts me off, literally runs in front of me and cuts me off to tell the guy, do you know that Jesus Christ loves you? Again, do you believe it in your heart? Now, he hasn't learned where to go from there, what they say or whatever, but just the point of it. And um, I was on a live call with Chris Overstreet today, and um, he did an evangelism training and a question came forward, how do you teach your kids and activate your kids in power evangelism? And this is what I began to think about on the front row this tonight. We're talking to leaders, and I know I'm talking to a lot of people who are watching live right now, and this is for you as well. But this verse, imitate me as I imitate Christ, kept going through my heart. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, I believe. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. This was my answer to the question. Human beings learn the best, I believe, by observation. By repetition and observation. So we learn, we do, we teach. And my son and kids, the best way for them to get activated in power evangelism is they watch me do it. They watch you do it. And as leaders... We can't expect there to be a culture of evangelism in Bethel, Austin, if it doesn't start with you. And this is where I want to talk about today. I believe that the only reason that our churches are not in revival across America is because Christians don't preach the gospel. Even people that love God. A lot that worship, that give on a regular basis, but they don't actually preach the gospel as a lifestyle. And there's all kinds of reasons for that. Some of them are, are blockages from lies, like they might use a Christian cliche uh, statement or a quote, like love at all, like preach the gospel at, at all times, and if necessary, use words which is what St. Francis said, but not what Jesus said. And there's a context to it. Jesus just simply said, go into all the world and, come on, say it with me, go into all the world and what? Preach. Preach. Which means proclaim with words. And Romans 10 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But how can they hear unless somebody preaches? The apostles said, you, you tell us, when they were threatening them, don't talk about Jesus anymore. They said back to them, you tell us whether we should listen to God or not, but we can't help ourselves, come on, but to say what we've seen and what we've heard. Come on. The apostle Paul says, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. How can we say, follow me as I follow Christ? Come on. How many people believe that Jesus is seeking and saving that which was lost? The spirit of the living God is upon you for what purpose? Come on. Come on, Bethel Austin. You know your Bible. The spirit of the living God is upon you for what purpose? 
to preach the good news. This is what Jesus opening scripture, he opens it up. This is why the spirit of God is upon me. Acts chapter 1-8, stay in Jerusalem. Even though I told you this whole great commission, I want you to remain in Jerusalem until what? Until the promise of the father comes and when he comes, Acts chapter 1-8, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be what? Witnesses. Come on. This is, what, this, this is what we get to do. This is out of the abundance of our heart. This is how we are to be leaders in the body of Christ. We have to preach the gospel, testifying of who he is, what he's done for us. It doesn't take an evangelist to preach the gospel. It just takes a believer. I believed in my heart, therefore I speak. What's in your heart? Are we burning? Are we on fire? Do we have our first love fire? Jesus is talking to the church in Revelations, and, he, and, and they did everything well except that they lost their first love. And his invitation is, he said, behold, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. We, we share that for the lost, but actually it's for the lukewarm church. It's for the church that's lost its fire. Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. And it was a, an invitation to be married. This was in the day and age, the cultural historic context is they would get a bunch of money and the father and the bridegroom would go to the one that he wants to marry to ask for her hand in marriage and they would knock on the door in the middle of the night and if she opens the door, it's her saying, I will be your bride. And yet Jesus is saying to the lukewarm church, behold, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. And I feel like there's this invitation to go deeper in intimacy, not just to have Jesus as a boyfriend. To actually love God with all of our hearts, mind, soul, strength, everything within us. And the evidence is you can't help yourself. And you're contagious. Boldness is not a personality type. Boldness is a yes in your heart. In Acts, they said that because they saw their boldness, they knew they had been with Jesus. Boldness is the fruit of being with Jesus. So I'm going to share a few stories with you because I believe it's relevant for right now. I was in an airplane years ago on my way to Azusa Now. Um, anybody remember that? Azusa Now is a celebration of um, the Azusa Street Revival. And there was a prophecy, I believe it was by Smith Wigglesworth, that in a hundred years we would see another great harvest of souls, the end time harvest of souls. And it was celebrating William J. Seymour. And God had been speaking to me about William J. Seymour, that his life was prophetic to America. That look to William J. Seymour and learn the lessons from William J. Seymour that you need to learn. Because you won't be entrusted with revival until you learn those lessons. And the lesson that William J. Seymour had learned I, as I studied his life, one of them was to be unoffendable. Because he could have got offended at God because he lost his eye to polio, but he kept his heart right. 
Then he could have got offended at God because God sent him or led him to go to a church or a ministry school in Houston to learn about the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of tongues and prophecy from a man named William Parham, who it was said that was a registered member at one point in the KKK. And because of the... uh, the Jim Crow laws, they wouldn't allow him, William J. Seymour, a black man, to come into the building to learn about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So he could have got offended right there and left. These guys, no way that they're teaching what the, the truth. No way that they're believers. No way that God would use them. They're racist. But oftentimes, God will hide your greatest victory in the thing that would offend you the most. And so he keeps his heart pure. And see, I, feel, I believe that one of the strategies of the enemy to get your love cold in this season is offense. Distraction, what you're talking about, what Renee was talking about, that we need to focus and keep our focus on the main thing, which is preaching the gospel, which is the ministry of reconciliation. Come on. This is the ministry you've been given. Not to lose our focus and fight the right fights in the wrong way. You can't legislate a heart change. I'm not against legislation, but I'm, I'm, I'm in for heart change. I want a person to be born again. I want a person that has a stony heart of racism to be transformed into a heart that's beating with flesh and blood that's been born again. I want that stony heart to drown in the baptism tank and to resurrect a new creation. Come on. In the middle of that, I praise God for the legislators who are stopping them from, from, from being racist in the meantime. But, but really, that's not my assignment. My assignment is to preach the gospel. It's the Great Commission. Come on. And so he doesn't lose focus. He realizes that God will even use a donkey to speak. And he listens through the window. And he gets this revelation of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. He doesn't even get the experience right away. He could have got offended at God again. How come they're having this experience but not me? We have this microwave Christianity where if we don't get the experience right away, it must not be God. But there's such a hunger in humility. Humility produces a hunger that won't give up. You ask and you keep on asking and you keep knocking until, until it happens. You don't give up. Because you're hungry and you know it's the truth, even though it might not be your experience. And so he keeps pressing in. Who knows how long, but he travels to L.A. with an invitation. And then the invitation shuts down when he gets there and now he's homeless. Could have got offended again. But his heart remains pure. And he gets invited into a home church to start a prayer meeting. Which turns into the Azusa Street Revival. And one billion people can draw their spiritual inheritance back to that revival. A black man and, and, the color li- and the color line was washed with the bloodline. And we know all that happened in that revival. And we're still eating of the fruit of that revival. Missions, countless missions all over the world because of that revival. And I believe that God is speaking through William Seymour to us even now. And so I'm flying in to celebrate that revival. And as I'm on the airplane, I hear the Lord say, stand up and read Matthew 5 out loud on the airplane. Now, Jesus said, if you love me, then you'll obey my commandments. You can't say you love God if you don't obey God. And the great commission is not the great suggestion. Come on. But you can't grit your teeth to love God more. Oh, 
man, that evangelist said, I'm not a Christian. I'm not, I don't love God if I don't preach the gospel. I'm going to love you, God. Oh, let me preach the gospel. That doesn't last very long. Lasts maybe a couple weeks till you get rejected or it doesn't work. But 1 John 4 says that we love God because he first loved us. Come on. So a lack of evangelism or obedience is actually just the fruit of a receiving problem. <laughs> so really we just have to repent or change the way that we think and come back to his throne of grace to receive a fresh encounter, to receive that love, to get filled up to where it's the overflow of our heart that is burning in love with God like new believers. Anybody ever seen a new believer? It's like everything they want to talk about is Jesus, 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 Jesus. But we're supposed to go from glory to glory. Come on. It's not supposed to dial down. It's supposed to dial up. <laughs> and so I, I, I stand up on the airplane and slow obedience is disobedient. So I don't give myself enough time to talk myself out of it. And I just start reading Matthew 5 out loud. Now, this is not logically not the scripture that I would uh, choose to open air preach to a lost group of people on the plane. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do they light a lamp and place it under a basket of fear. That's what it came out as. But it doesn't say fear. It just say under a basket. And immediately... I heard the Holy Spirit say the main basket that the church puts their light under is a basket of fear. I want you to tell the church everywhere that you go that there's a cost to putting your light under a basket of fear. And he reminded me of a story that had happened six years prior. I'd never told it, never shared it with anybody up to that point. Matter of fact, I forgot about the story. I didn't even remember it. I don't know how, I mean, when you share the gospel every day, there's, I, I, I have them written in my journal, but it's shocking to me what you will forget that has happened until somebody else starts telling the story. And you're like, oh, yeah, I remember that. That was amazing. But I forgot this story. And the story was um, me and my buddies were in Redding, California. We went to a cafe to get coffee. And um, when we um, stepped out of the cafe, we saw this couple that were screaming and yelling at each other, arguing. Spit was flying. Net vein was bulging. It was a bad argument, real bad. And um, as soon as I saw it, I knew it was my assignment. I didn't feel any electricity. I didn't feel the, like, the, the voice of God or like audible voice of God or anything. I just saw the problem, and I know I'm the solution. Not that I'm the solution, but the one that's inside of me is the solution. The Holy Spirit knows exactly what they need in that moment, and I'm one with him. And here's one thing I've learned, that when you don't know what to do, just step across the chicken line and put yourself in a position that where if God doesn't show up, it ain't going to turn out very good. See, sometimes people hear people tell testimonies like this, and they're thinking, man, I, I wonder when God's going to start to speak to me like that so I can see testimonies like that. But the reality is it, it doesn't usually happen that way. A lot of times it's just you step into it through obedience, and you begin to preach the gospel, and then God shows up, and you activate something. And so I saw the problem. I walked up to the car, and I knocked on the window. And the moment I did that, I realized this dude was huge. Muscles upon muscles, tattoos all over his face and neck. And, and, and he was mad already, and now he's turning his madness on me. And he's like, what? 
and my heart starts racing. Fear. Now, here's the thing. Courage isn't the absence of the feeling of fear. Courage is not letting fear tell you what to do. So just because I feel fear doesn't mean I am afraid. You can't be afraid. You're a child of God. I am not afraid. I'm a child of God. Perfect love casts out all fear. And as many as received him, he's given the right to become children of God. I have not been given a spirit of bondage again to fear, Romans 8. But I am given a spirit of adoption by whom I cry out, Abba, Father. Come on. I've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. It's a spirit. Both verses say that fear is a spirit. Just because you feel fear, it doesn't mean it's yours. Oftentimes, fear is an invitation. And we don't run from the fear, we run through the fear. Love casts out all fear. So just because I'm feeling fear, I'm, I'm not going to disengage. I'm going to engage even more. Come on. This is what faith looks like. So what do I do? I don't know what I'm, this, what's going to happen here. All I know is this dude's mad, and so I stall. I say, roll down the window. And in that little bit of time that it takes him to roll down that crank window, I'm like emergency mode, emergency tongue mode on the inside. <laughs> oh, God, 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 you got to tell me something. you got to tell me something or I'm going to make it up. I'm looking at this guy in the eyes, and I'm begging God to tell me something. And sometimes you think you're making it up, but you're not, because you've been given the mind of Christ. And so if your heart is to love, even if you get it wrong, you don't get it wrong. Love never fails. And a lot of words of knowledge have led to right salvations, and right, a lot of wrong words of knowledge have led to um, right salvations and right healings. You got a problem with your right knee? No, I don't got a problem with my right knee. How come you ask? Oh, don't worry about it. How about your left shoulder? You got problems with your left shoulder? No, I don't got a problem with my left shoulder. What's wrong with you? You're weird. Uh, I'm just a Christian. I'm practicing learning how to hear God's voice. And sometimes I get it right. And when I get it right, I pray for people and they get healed. Oh, that's cool. I got a problem with my neck. You think you can pray for my neck? You pray for their neck and their neck gets healed all through a wrong word of knowledge. So the question is, are you willing to get it wrong because it's not about you anyway and learn and practice because you're being obedient to the Great Commission? Come on. And you step into it. And the more that you're willing to get it wrong, the more that, more that you'll get it right. We just have to have a, a, a short little switch that I'm probably hearing God and it might be me. Rather than it's probably not God, but it might be God. It's probably just me, but it might be God. That's how a lot of people will share prophetic words or words of knowledge because they think they're being humble that way. But the reality is when we do that, we actually limit the amount that we actually get God right, the amount that we step out because we actually don't believe that we're hearing God. What if we believe that we're children of God and John 10 says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me and they know me and I'm stepping out in obedience to preach the gospel and I'm gonna believe that God is going to speak to me and that what I'm getting, the information that I'm getting is from God and it might be me though. I guarantee you the quality and the accuracy of your prophetic words will go up if we do that. And so I'm like, God, 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 you got to tell me something. If you don't tell me something, I'm going to make it up. Heart's racing. And I just get this slight little thought. Ask him about his daughter. 
Oftentimes we think a prophetic word is gonna be this great detailed thing, but sometimes it's just a little question or a little phrase or one word. And if we'll start with that one word or that one question, he'll give us the more. We think it's gonna be everything at once, but usually it's just this one thing. And so I say, hey man, I don't mean to be disrespectful or anything, but I'm a Christian and I saw that you guys were arguing and I felt to come and ask you about your daughter. Do you have a daughter? And I said, and to tell you that you're important to, to her life. Immediately, he began to weep and cry, uncontrollably weep and cry. And on the inside, I went, yes. <laughs> I said, what's going on, man? He couldn't, he couldn't respond. He couldn't, he couldn't talk to me. He was beside himself. His wife or girlfriend is weeping and crying. I said, what's going on, man? He couldn't talk. After a few minutes, he said, I'm, he said that today we were going to go commit couple suicide. And we were arguing about what we were going to do with our daughter after we were gone. You see, there's a cost to putting your light under a basket of fear. People's lives are at stake. So we shared the gospel and they got born again instead of committing suicide. And now their daughter's not an orphan, but she has born again family members. All because we were going to get liquid heaven in a cup, not on outreach, and we weren't going to bow down to fear. Now, that story would be cool if it ended there, but it doesn't end there. Courage inspires courage. Now, remember the verse that I felt in my heart and why I'm telling you a story that a lot of you guys have probably already heard again. I've, I know that I've shared that story before, but here's what I also know. I go a lot of places and I share a message and people have these crazy encounters and then I'll go back to that place and my heart and my desire is that 10 people catch it. I hope everybody catches it, but I just hope that 10 people catch it and that 10 people begin to share the gospel with one person a day. Even just, imagine if 10 of us, we had an evangelism gathering today. Imagine if 10 people in this room were to share the gospel with one person a day for 90 days. 900 people would hear the gospel in 90 days. And if 10% of those people get saved, then 90 people get saved every 90 days. And if 5% of those people, and, and let's say 10% don't, but 5% become disciples and start coming to Bethel Austin, and they don't bring any friends or family, then Bethel Austin grows by 45 people every, come on, 90 days. New believers, not tra transfer growth, not musical chairs because they like the Bethel worship more or they like the children ministry more. It's literally new believers being rescued out of darkness, being snatched out of death and into life. Come on, snatched out of addiction into life just because 10 people chose to preach the gospel to one person a day. What if 120 leaders could say, Follow me as I follow Christ and begin to obey. Just simply obey Jesus. Preach the gospel. And 120 people shared the gospel with one person a day for 100 days. Come on. That's 120,000 people hear the gospel in Austin in 120 days. Come on. Do the math. I'm telling you, the only reason churches in America don't see revival is because we don't preach the gospel. If we'll begin to preach the gospel, 
we're going to see souls saved. My friend, courage inspires courage. My friend Tom saw that whole thing happen. He turned around and looked for the first moving target in the parking lot. He sees a guy smoking a cigarette, trucking across the parking lot. He chases the guy down in the parking lot, taps him on the shoulder. And the guy's like, what? What do you want? My friend Tom doesn't know what he's going to say yet. Here's the key. Here's the key to walking in the miraculous. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So if you don't know what to say, always be locked and loaded with the testimony. Anybody have a testimony? Anybody have a lifetime of testimonies? Not just how he saved you, but how he provided for you, how he healed you. Because you're walking with him and because you know him, come on, you have more than just your testimony of how you got saved. You have a lifetime of walking with Jesus' testimony. And as you testify... Based on what the Holy Spirit leads you to say, an atmosphere of the prophetic is created for them to come into. And so my friend Tom doesn't know what he's going to say, so he tells the first testimony that comes to his mind. He says, you're never going to believe what just happened over there. And he tells this guy what just happened in the car. That guy begins to weep and cry. He said, I was on my way to commit suicide today. You can't make this stuff up. So there's a spirit of suicide in that parking lot. Only problem is God had two sons there drinking liquid heaven in a cup. My friend Tom shares his testimony, shares the gospel, and that guy gets born again. Why do I share that? Because I'm in an airplane. God speaks to me. He says, tell the church everywhere you go that there's a cost to putting your light under a basket of fear. And immediately... I get sent to the nation to leaders advances. Immediately, I was invited to a leaders advance in Sydney, Australia, one in the U.S. and one in Canada, all with hundreds of pastors. Some of them are my heroes. Some of them, I want to learn from them. And here I am. I have an assignment to talk to them. And I'm like, God, what do you want me to share? Tell them to stop putting their light under a basket of fear. And all of a sudden, I started realizing I went to South Africa as I was pastoring my church about two years in. See, when I got saved, I was 18 years old. I had 18 felonies. I was in and out of juvenile detention. I got radically saved. I didn't know anything except for how to buy you a cheeseburger, share John 3.16, and tell you my testimony. I had not gone to any conferences. I had not gone to schools of ministry. I went to a Baptist church. Eventually, they told me Romans Road. And I began to share the Romans road, John 3, 16, my testimony and buy a cheeseburger. And I was seeing people get saved. If you're faithful with what he's given you, he'll give you the more. So much of the church is like, God, give me more. Give me another encounter. And they go from conference to conference, school of ministry to school of ministry, asking for another encounter so that someday that they'll be able to step into their destiny. But God's saying, are you being faithful with what you've been given? And I'm faithful with what I've been given. And then I went to YWAM. They taught me how to hear God's voice. Psalm 139, his thoughts for you are more than the sand on the seashore, more than the stars that are in the heavens. He knit you in your mother's womb. And they said, my sheep hear my voice. John 10, you're a sheep. You can hear his voice. Ask him for his thoughts for you and journal it. Ask God, what are your thoughts for me? And begin to journal it. So I began to journal it and see the secret place is the practice place for the marketplace. So I began to practice hearing God in the secret place, ministering to the Lord and him ministering to me and, 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 and loving on me. And then I thought, if I can hear God for me, then I can hear God for you. And I thought that lost people aren't going to be nice to me. How do I know if I'm actually hearing God or if I'm just making it up? So I went into the, to a university and I just began to do prophetic evangelism, even though I wouldn't have called it that. I was just, hey, 
I'm just learning. I'm a new Christian. I'm learning how to hear God's voice. Psalm 139 says his thoughts for you are more than the sand on the seashore, more than the stars that are in the heavens. And, and they're, by the way, they're of good and not of evil. Can I ask God what his thoughts are for you and tell you what I hear him saying? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I begin to share it and they begin to weep and cry. How do you know all this about me? I told you, I don't know, but my best friend does. The spirit of God, he lives on the inside of me. He's the spirit of Jesus and he loves you and he's pursuing you for relationship. And just like I can hear his voice, he wants you to hear his voice. This is eternal life that you would know the father and the son whom he sent. Would you like to know him? Yes. So now I go from seeing some people saved every now and then through Romans Road and Cheeseburger to now it's like pouring accelerant on the fire. And I'm seeing people saved like crazy, prophetic evangelism. I believe that God is raising up prophetic evangelists in this hour that are these hybrid prophet evangelists. And some of you, and when I say that, that is for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. So prophets and evangelists are coming together in this season to equip the saints to hear the voice of God and to communicate the heart of the Father for reconciliation. And that is you. So I started doing that. And then I had an encounter with a guy named Sean Smith. Sean Smith prayed for me. I was outside of a psychic tent. The Lord said, you have a divine appointment today. I stand outside of this psychic tent and, um, and I'm, because I'm waiting on the girl to come out. I'm thinking she's spiritually hungry and I'm gonna wait for her to come out. She can test what he, this psychic can do. And God, I'm putting you to the test. If you give me something good, it better be better than what that psychic can do. I'm telling you, I'm putting a demand on the anointing. I'm, I'm actually believing God is inside of me and loves her more than I do. All I got to do is put myself in a position. Come on. And so as I'm standing there, some of your most divine appointments will come as you're being obedient to the Great Commission. You're just simply being obedient. And here I am standing there, and a black man comes up, taps me on the shoulder. By the way, his father was killed by a, a white police officer. And I was led to the Lord by African-Americans. So there's this whole reconciliation piece in my whole story. So this is definitely a divine appointment for me. We talk for a little while. We have to leave because he has to preach at this open air crusade, which I was advertising for. And I had to be there as well. We don't even get to see the girl when she comes out. He preaches on the power of peace and the prince of peace at the open air crusade. And only two people get saved. And one of them is that young girl. She moses in halfway through the meeting and we both get to prophesy over her and afterwards I turn around and tell Sean this is what God spoke to me I don't even know what it meant I come from a Baptist church I don't even know what a divine appointment is he said let me pray for you he prays for me the power of God comes on me now I'm from a Baptist background at that time I didn't know anything about being slain in the spirit falling down any of that kind of stuff and he prays for me and bam I'm out in crush and run gravel parking lot with my nice shirt on I didn't feel power, I didn't feel electricity, I didn't feel wind, I didn't feel anything. I was just, bam, out. And I, it happened so fast, I thought, they pushed me down without me realizing it. And I used to play football, and so I put my feet right. I thought, they ain't going to push me again, because they picked me right up. And I got my feet right, and they prayed for me again, and bam, I go down again. They had put a chair behind me this time, and I fell into the chair. And I remember feeling like the, you know, the Holy Spirit goosebumps, you know, like... This, just feeling the presence of God like you would in worship. Just this calming, peaceful presence coming over me. And I remember just weeping because God was touching me. 
nothing that unusual other than just his presence. I got up from that chair and um, I went back to Chico. And the first person I prayed for was a man that had, he was a Vietnam veteran. God had spoke to me that the spirit of abortion was invited into our nation through dishonor. That if you honor your father and mother, then you'll have long life on the earth and that the shortest lifespan on the earth is abortion. And that it came in through dishonor when our troops came back from war and the Vietnam War during that time period. And for the first time in our history, instead of being honored, they were dishonored and they were spit on and they were cursed at. And that spirit invited it. And so God spoke to me and he said, move in the opposite spirit. When they're saying to dishonor police officers and, and firefighters and people in uniform and military, people that are in authority, presidents and different ones, even if they don't deserve it, the spirit of dishonor is bringing a, a short life. He said, move in the opposite spirit. Go up to them and honor them for their service. Honor them and you're moving in the opposite spirit. And so I had developed that as a habit in my life. And so I walked up to a man who had a Vietnam veteran hat on and uh and i walked up i said hey sir i just want to say thank you for serving and shake your hand and the moment i did he said i'm sorry my my hand can't go up there i'm i had a stroke and he's like slurring his words the right side of it one of side of his face i can't remember which one it was i think it was the right side was slumping down and he had had a um a stroke and he couldn't talk properly and his leg kind of dragged behind him and uh he his hand was kind of slumped down and so I, I had just read, now I'm, remember, I'm a new Christian, and I had just read Acts chapter 3 when Peter said, I don't have any money for you, but what I do have in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk, and he grabbed the man, it says, and pulled him to his feet. And suddenly, I just th remembered that scripture, and I said, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And he started cussing at me. Didn't you hear me? I can't walk. I said I had a stroke. And he starts getting mad. And something in me just stirred up. And I said, I said, get up and walk. And I grabbed this man by his wrist. Now, I don't recommend doing this unless, you know, whatever. Uh, God backed me up here. So I grabbed this man and I said, I said, get up. And I jerked him to his feet. And the man began to walk normally. His face came up, began to talk normally, began to weep and cry. And all these college students start gathering all around us. And I took the opportunity and preached the gospel. But it happened as I was being faithful to preach the gospel. I was being faithful to stand outside of a psychic tent because I just learned how to hear God's voice and this girl's spiritually hungry and I know the one who created her, knit her in her mother's womb, knows every desire and secret of her heart. All I have to do is believe that I'm a child of God and that I can hear his voice. I don't have to believe that I'm an evangelist. I just have to believe that I can hear his voice. I don't have to believe that I'm the best miracle worker. I just gotta believe I know the one who is. He said, I'm going away, but if I go away, I'll send to you the helper. It's to your advantage that I go away. If I go away, I'll send to you the helper, the Holy Spirit. If we start taking advantage of our advantage, we'll see Jesus get his full reward. Bethel Austin, my prayer today isn't just that you have an encounter. I believe that you're going to have an encounter. And I don't know if I can get somebody to come up and help me minister right now because I know I only have 14 minutes. But I want to pray for you today. I believe that God's going to release an impartation on our hearts today as we come to this place of understanding and repentance even 
Listen, if you look at your life, and I just want you to look at even the last three months, how often have you preached the gospel? Literally shared your testimony, given an invitation for salvation, not just prayed for a sick person, not just prophesied, but literally said, do you know Jesus? Do you want to know him? Let me talk to you about what Jesus did on the cross. Let me talk to you about his blood. And when is the last time that we just dream in our bed and just begin to just think on the simple gospel? So then we begin to dream with God. See, this is where it starts, is a sanctified imagination. God, I don't want to just do this because I have to. I want to know your heart. You so love the world, you sent your only son. You so love the world. You so love the world that you, by your own free will, took that cross. And while they're gambling at the foot of the cross, rolling dice for your clothes, you said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I want to know that kind of passion. I want to have that kind of passion. I want to weep in the night for this. Charles Finney said, far be it from me to pray for revival as though I want revival more than God if I'm not even willing to preach the gospel. He said, therefore, we shouldn't pray that God would send revival. We should pray that God would make us revivalists. God, capture our heart tonight. Stand to your feet if you're able. Capture our hearts tonight. Put your hand on your heart. Evangelism is a heart thing. It's a heart thing. No longer stony hearts, God, but hearts of flesh. 2 Corinthians 3. The letter of God's law was written on tablets of stone, but no longer it's written on, the, on our hearts, on human hearts. The law of love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets could be, could be summed up in this. And that law that we would love God with all of our hearts and our neighbor as ourself is written on tablets of human hearts. God, write by your spirit. The law of love upon our heart. That we would not cower in fear. That we would not, God, cower in apathy, God. But that our heart would not grow cold because of compromises in our life, God. But God, I pray that you would move by your spirit and that you would bring us to this place of repentance. So that times of refreshing can come from the presence of God. God, we want a fresh move of God in Bethel, Austin, and in Austin. God, we want a fresh move of God in our nation, God. God, I'm asking, God, that as we gather tonight, I don't want me to be the only one praying right now. I want us together. If you're online right now, I want you to begin to cry out. I want you to begin to pray. I want you to begin to press in. I want you to begin to allow your hunger to be stirred to a place of expectation. Even as Pastor Bill says, if it doesn't move you, it's not going to move God. God, I'm praying by your spirit that you would move our hearts to this place, God, where we would say, God, please send your spirit. I know that you want to send your spirit more than we want, but we don't want just another emotional experience, God. And it, uh, uh, a learned behavior encounter with the Holy Spirit. We want a real baptism of power. We want a real baptism of your spirit. And the main evidence that we have received a real baptism of power is that you're now a witness. Every time that the Spirit of God moved, every time in the Bible that God poured out his spirit, the evidence was that they preached the gospel with boldness. Come, Holy Spirit. Come on. Come on, Bethel Austin.
Come on, let's pray. Not just another good word, God. He loves you. He delights in you. It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. Repentance is not a bad word. It's an invitation. It's a good word. It's a gift. God, we just thankful, God. Cause our hearts to burn again, God. Cause our hearts to burn with the fires of revival, God. Cause our hearts to burn in prayer, God. Cause us. I prophesy in Bethel, Austin, there shall be a prayer movement that arises out of this church. There's a prayer undergirding that's arising in this church. And even as Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, pray the Lord of the harvest because the harvest is plentiful, but the harvesters are few. And as they prayed, the next verse, he sent them to be the answer to their prayers that the harvest starts in prayer but as we go to our knees with fasting and prayer like they did in the upper room for a, for that 120 days and they pressed in and they were praying God there was a suddenly moment and the spirit of God shook the place and they were filled with the spirit of God and Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and he began to preach the gospel and 3,000 people were saved God we're asking for another Pentecost God we're asking for an outpouring of your spirit in the land God on us tonight God fill Joaquin God fill Joaquin God fill him again God fresh fire fresh fire fresh fire fresh fire for Renee God fresh fire God for Jahi God fresh fire for Eddie God fresh fire God God we're asking come Kim come on let's ask together Jesus said ask and keep on asking knock and keep on knocking for what father amongst you wouldn't wouldn't give his son bread if he asked for bread or we give him a stone if he asked your father is good if you understood your father's heart he's good he's good if we understand the father's heart he's good hmm thank you Lord Some of you right now, you're just getting visions of your neighborhood, your grocery store. In Luke chapter 10, he sent them two by two into the very cities he himself was about to go. And God spoke to me, he said that the strategy for taking cities is the same as it was in Luke 10. Two by two, house to house. 
want you to make a determination in your heart. As leaders, you're going to be examples. As you're watching live on, on, on the live feed right now, you're going to live your life worthy of the gospel. And you're going to live as an example. Maybe it's your husband, or maybe it's your wife, or maybe it's a friend. But I want you to call them up in the next day or two and say, let's make a commitment to walk our neighborhood and pray over our neighborhood. Let's make a commitment to share the gospel with our neighborhoods this year. House to house, door to door. Hey, I'm a Christian. I want to pray for you. Jesus said to release my peace upon this house and to pray for anyone who's sick. Is there anyone sick? Can we pray for the peace of God to come into your house? It's a practical word. It's a practical idea, but I'm telling you, if I just had 10 people, if we had 10 people in the congregation who would make that commitment, I believe that you're going to see a harvest of souls, Bethel, Austin, and when the harvest of souls comes, there's so much joy in this new believer. Like, they need us, but we need them, man. We need the new believers. We need the humility. We need the hunger. The church needs that freshness, that, 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 that hunger and passion of the new believer. This is where the revival comes. This is where we begin to see souls saved and people coming in that are sick. And so many of us have had our hearts healed and we've gone through the inner healings and soul healings and we've had our physical bodies healed. But as we press in, as we go into the prisons, as we look for the harvest field, as we say, okay, house to house, door to door, neighborhoods, prisons, juvenile detentions, God, we're go. I'm, here am I as Isaiah said, here am I, God, send me. That fiery coal is going to touch your lips for the purpose of preaching the gospel, just like in Acts 2, their tongues were set on fire. For if you can bridle the tongue, you can bridle the whole body. And faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But how can they hear unless we preach? Lord, we just lift our hands right now. Just lift your hands. Everyone all over this place, just lift your hands right now. Let a fresh wind, let a fresh wind, let a refreshing wind, a fresh wind, a fresh fire fall upon your people, God. Fill us with your fire, God. Look upon our hearts, God. You're not a lip reader, you're a heart reader. You're looking at our hearts right now. Fill us with your fire, God. Fill us with the anointing of God. Fill us with Jesus the evangelist, God. God, impart your heart, God, more than just a message. Impart your heart to the congregation, to the people tonight, God. Impart your boldness, God. Impart the impart. God, I pray right now that there would be, right now, some of you are seeing an invitation to greater intimacy with the Lord, that your heart would begin to burn again before God. Like it was at first. Some of you, if you look, if you are honest, you have all your testimonies are old. But the Lord's saying right now, it's not a shame thing. It's a come up here thing. It's a come closer thing. It's a come here. Come close to me. Come close to me. I love you more as much as I've ever loved you. There's an invitation to revival. There's an invitation. First, revive us, God. Revive us, God. Revive your church, God. Revive your bride, God. Pour out your spirit on us in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com.